It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 2, starring Madeline Kahn, originally aired on October 8th, 1977. Hello and welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Keith. With us as, not always, but almost always, here quite regularly, uh, one of our most prolific third chairs, it is Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, fellas. So we have Madeline Kahn back. This is our second time seeing Madeline Kahn. We had uh, a glimpse of her on episode 19 of season one, and I remember Christine joined us, and uh, there were a lot of things that were said about that episode that can certainly apply to this one. Matt, you and I have already talked about Madeline Kahn. Mark, what do you know Madeline Kahn from? She was in that uh, Gene Wilder Frankenstein movie, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 That that would be the one that definitely jumps out. She's one of those people that I can't think of things she's been in, but I've seen her in a thousand things, if that makes sense. I was trying to think of of things when I was watching her on on the episode because she seems so familiar, but I couldn't really grasp anything solid, weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's for for me, it's it's that uh, young Frankenstein blazing saddles and uh do you remember Bill Cosby's uh, sitcom he had after the Cosby show? Just I think it was just called Cosby. Oh, yeah, where he was like an old retiree or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Was she like his landlord? Yeah, or his, his wife's friend or, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, I forgot all about that show, actually. And we have uh, Taj Mahal. We'll talk about him when we get there. Let's rock on the cold opening. So the cold opening is a reenactment of the Lee Harvey Oswald shooting in the basement of a Dallas police station but the names and events have been changed in this one uh dan plays a reporter as bill murray playing lee harry oswald is let out belushi jumps from the crowd and hits him with a pie bill gives the lie from new york so uh, firstly i mean somebody obviously read their kennedy stuff and, and this looked really good i couldn't figure out where the joke was unless the joke is the implication that by changing very small details you can now say it's it's not about kennedy uh there was a lot of energy in this one but there just wasn't much to it the thing that really jumps out to me is and i've, I've watched the kevin costner jfk movie a thousand times it's actually brian doyle murray who plays uh, jack ruby in, in jfk when i picture jack ruby in my head it always goes to brian doyle murray in that movie so it was kind of kind of neat that bill played oswald in this but that is such inside baseball that it shouldn't affect too too many folks um i liked this but it wasn't it's not the super awesome cold open you, you you might expect but this was solid yeah i feel like the the main joke was just trying to quickly get to the pie in the face bit which was fine by me and just changing the little names here and there was was an attempt to like fill in some sort of joke leading up to that i thought yeah it looked good it was good energy and it, and it was quick so you know it was just a Quick, silly setup, boom, pie in the face, and away we go. So I dug it. It wasn't amazing, but it was good. Yeah, it looked good, but uh, I, that's, I mean, I, I thought that's all it was, is, was uh, looking good. Why are they making Kennedy assassination jokes in 1977? Did a book come out? Yeah, there was a movie at that point, at the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, it didn't work either way. Okay, so now we go to a, a new intro, and uh, this is a new, new intro. Mark, there was a really disturbing one last week. Um, <laughs> so 
This one involves the cast crossing the street in Times Square in front of the big billboard that has their names and the graphic from last week. Instead of like this head floating in space, they pause and pose for a second in front of the camera. I mean, not totally awesome, but far, far better than the uh, than the in space one. Almost blissfully awful. Like, uh, you know, as much as I hated it last week, uh, I, I almost wanted to see it again uh, just because of how bad it was and how uncomfortable everybody was. Uh, it's one, one for the record books, at least. And this one will continue for a bit, but even this one doesn't survive the season. Mark, what did you think of the new intro with the cast? Well, from from you guys discussing, I'm looking forward to hearing what you had to say about last week's. You've definitely piqued my interest. I thought this intro was, it was all right. It did give, like, all of the cast members a, a little moment to show off their own personality. You know, Dan does the big shocked look and, like, is over theatrical. And Jane comes in with sort of a quiet confidence and just gestures to her name on the billboard. It was a, a nice little way for them to all show a little bit of themselves. Yeah, Belushi's smoking and Gilda jumps across like a bunny and eats an apple. It, it, it was yeah. kind of enjoyable in, in that sense, but yeah. We now go to the monologue. Madeline Kahn mentions that the show started late. Um, what happened here was the uh, Dodgers were playing the Phillies. It was the final game of the National League playoffs. They were playing in Philadelphia. It was raining really bad. The monologue is kind of a rambling stream of consciousness thing where uh, Kahn talks about the excitement of the show because they're really dealing with the unknown. And as she talks, she mentions that everything is unknown except the fact that we are going to die. Um, This was a good monologue. It wasn't great. This one is all charisma. It's all anything good about it is about Madeline Kahn's delivery, her charisma. Uh, There's not much writing in this. This reminds me of the monologues we're going to see later in like season six, which don't seem like they're written. It just seems like something amusing that that the host wants to talk about for you know, 30 seconds. I, uh, I did dig it though. I, the, she pulled, you know, the, if charisma is what we're going with, she had it in spades and she, uh, I liked the, uh, the dark humor in it. I thought it was good. I was into it. When you're, you know, at the back end of a party and, and there's someone very charming there and you're not quite sure exactly what they're, they're talking about, but you're still engaged, you know, the, the charisma definitely sold it. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good laugh at the, at the death line. And, and yeah, there was, there was a dark weirdness about it that I enjoyed. It wasn't like uproariously hilarious, but it was deeply engaging. Yeah. And and to be fair, like she was a little shaky, but I mean, they probably said, OK, ball game's over. Madeline, go now. You know, after waiting around for 45 minutes or whatever, you know, we now jump on to a classic ad that I remember so well from the many packages over the years. It's Bill Murray as the spokesperson for Swill. Bill talks about being a traveling businessman who gets what he can on the run. When it, but for mineral water, he gets swill. It's a mineral water that's bottled directly from Lake Erie, right from the, the lake into the bottle, into the box. He pours it into the glass, and there's a Carly Simon song that used to be used for the ketchup commercials at the time that I remember we had one that played probably for 20 years. The drink is disgusting, and it's syrupy, and it has a piece of a tin can in it. The audience groans as it pours. I love this bit. I love Bill Murray's delivery of this. I, I love the water. But the highlight for me is there's a man actually, they show clips of Lake Erie and them getting the water. There's a man actually carrying a bunch of boxes of swill out of the water as if it was boxed and bottled on site. He was great. I, I was uh, I was suitably uh, yucked out. I thought it was yucky. 
and uh, which obviously is the point. So mission accomplished. Bill Murray definitely showing a lot of charm. Gross. It reminded me of the stuff. Soon as like I wasn't quite sure where they were going with it, and then as soon as Bill Murray takes the top off his hamburger and just dumps a, a horrifying amount of ketchup onto his burger. I, I was like, oh, we're getting gross and weird here. Okay, cool. And then, yeah, just the time it took for that first drop of swill to make it out of the bottle. Like, it was just sludging by with all these, like, flecks of dirt and shit in it. It was, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was not a, not highbrow in any way. Uh, and, yeah, the guy coming out of the lake with the boxes, like, they're just... The, the, the boxes generate somehow in the lake and they fish them mm-hmm. out or something. It was, it was really goofy. I really, really dug this one. Bad opera. Dan Aykroyd is back as Leonard Pinth Garnell, and he talks about a new, uh, an older opera that they're doing called The Golden Note, and it was the worst German opera of its time. The issue is, is that when The Golden Note is sung, the singer's larynx locks on the note. So you get the uh, the, the players performing a scene, the heroine is played by Khan, and she asks for the golden note. Uh, Bill Murray repels from the ceiling and uh, with a giant lightning bolt, and it sort of shoots her in the in the chest throat area. And Khan's voice locks. Gilda and Lorraine are there playing trout maidens, and uh, Belushi and um, uh, Garrett are there as well. I definitely enjoyed this more than the live audience. I don't know. It's good to see both Khan and Garrett using their singing skills. This is not a bad sketch, but it's weak for the, you know, bad opera, bad playhouse, bad ballet series. The best parts of these are, one, when Dan is introducing it and talking about it after the fact, but also when he decides to introduce all the characters. I just, there's just something about the looks on people's faces that they're like, oh, he just said my name. Thank you very much. Um, and it's another Belushi as Steve Bouchakis and uh, Bill Murray as Ronnie Bateman again. These are characters they've done before. Um, or at least names they've used before. Agreement across the board for me. It was a little weak in the uh, Pimp Garnell series. I certainly didn't hate it by any means. You know, the the intro was the best part for me. I guess I just thought it was a little too hammy, maybe. You know what I mean? Uh, it felt almost like it needed one more rewrite or something. Like they, the, the idea's there, the premise is there, but the execution was kind of thin. It felt like they, they had a joke, and they just weren't quite sure how to pull it off is kind of how I took this. And I know, like, I, I've hung out with some opera singers, and I tell you, some of them would see this as a challenge. Some of the ones I've worked with and then and, and spent time with would be like, I'm the one that could sing the golden note and, and not get stuck. So it's kind of that made me laugh a little bit, too. When Dan finishes like his outro for the thing and then threw his uh, opera binoculars into a garbage can. Yeah, uh, this yeah. this is my first time seeing the, the bad series, I, I guess. Oh, okay. and yeah. So so I don't know if he always does that finish, but it's like the, the, yeah. the, the binoculars are tainted from the badness of it. So here we go. Well, Mark, I'm going to send you Bad Playhouse one of these days because it will bring you back. <laughs> we now go to an interesting thing. It's not a sketch. It's it's a uh, thing from Lauren. It's the anyone can host pitch. And he suggests that some people at home might want to try to host and to get the chance to do it. So basically, this is the announcement of a contest Saturday Night Live is having where anyone can host. So you send in a postcard and uh, a short couple of phrases as to why you think you should be picked as host and if you're chosen you get to do the christmas show uh lauren was really funny here he glitched up a bit but uh it was funny to see him 
So first off, what do you think of the segment, and what do you think of the idea, guys? This is something they never revisit. Lauren being Lauren, it's always good to see a little bit. You don't want him all over the show, but him popping up every now and then is kind of nice. And uh, he's just got this quiet charisma. There's there's a presence to him. So yeah, I thought it was it was an interesting pitch. I'm guessing since we haven't seen it, uh, maybe it doesn't go the best down the road. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out because it does seem like a a bit maybe a little gimmicky, but they're kind of early on still. They're 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 getting their stride and they're they're trying to connect with the audience in a way. So I, I could see them taking the swing, but also it, it feels like it's it's opening up the door to maybe some troubles. He's a little too awkward. If he wants to be on camera, he needs to tighten it up a bit. Like it was clunky. He's so clearly reading. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm you know it's fine. Do the concept, whatever. Run with it. Try new things. But get your shit together before you go on camera. You should know better. You're the boss. The boss doesn't have to be perfect. There's no <laughs> finger wagging in the boss's face afterwards. Best part of this whole thing for me is that he said you'll be disqualified if you happen to meet them out at a restaurant or something and bother them with uh, <laughs> with your pitch. <laughs> Our next bit, Bianca Jagger is with three or four of her uh, close friends. And this is a TV show um, hosted by Bill Murray. So Murray introduces Madeline Kahn, who's playing Bianca Jagger. John Belushi is playing Truman Capote. Uh, Lorraine Newman is playing Margaret Truman, the mother of the current prime minister of Canada here. And Jane Curtin is playing Princess Grace Kelly. Basically, this is uh, Jagger and a few of her friends sitting around a dinner table. And they're kind of just exchanging adages. They chat about Mick Jagger. Um, But every bit of it is mindless, and there's a lot of, like silly old maxims and stuff like that jagger eventually breaks and says these people aren't her real friends it isn't even her her living room to me this was a strange sketch there was something there i didn't get it or i didn't see what they were trying to say other than maybe that the rich and famous have very mundane and stupid conversations maybe i'm not familiar enough with with jagger's life i know she kind of went from being like socialite to a philanthropist but yeah, I mean, Belushi's Capote is really, really good. It sounds a lot like him, but it's also kind of mean spirited. And it was really, 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 really rough. Like there seemed like a lot of lines getting flubbed and dropped and stuff. One actual solid laugh out of the whole thing when Jane said, uh, you know, back in my in Monaco, the poor women have this saying. If your husband's late to dinner, he might be eating somewhere else. And then she gave sort of a, a cheeky look when she said it. That's yeah. the only real, that was the only thing that really got me. And maybe in a world without, you know, the real housewives of 18 different cities and, you know, reality TV everywhere, but, you know, the Kardashians and shit all over TV, where we see these mundane inane conversations that rich people have on our TVs all the time now. So maybe back in the 70s before reality TV was such a thing, this was more of a a humorous, like, out there, like, yeah, they'd never put that on TV. That's crazy. But I don't know. It it just, yeah, it felt really clunky and and kind of flat. And I don't really know these celebrities all that well either. You know, it's, it's maybe more of its time. 
but yeah, it was a it was a miss for me. I thought this was pretty bad. Uh, it, I didn't get any jokes out of it. I my own my notes. Uh, yeah, sometimes I keep notes, believe it or not. Uh, it just says terrible, and I used a few extra R's uh, to leave myself a little extra emphasis. You're right; those impressions could have been anyone. I thought Jane's line was funny too. Jane is just so neutered so far in season three, but I'll you know I'll complain about that again on this show. Uh, no jokes pointless stupid yeah. i'm with you keith yeah. it was just a fucking waste of air man so we now go to taj mahal harlem born lifelong music lover went on to really be uh, influential as a jazz musician who's adopted a lot of world music to create some really neat sounds oddly enough early in his career he formed a group with rye cooter of all people in 1977 he had two albums out one of them was the soundtrack from the movie brothers and uh, one was called evolution he sings Queen Bee. Um, oddly enough, I looked through this. It doesn't look like it was released as a single until 1999, or it was re-released at that point. I really enjoyed this, actually. It's it's different from what we've seen. You know, they've got guitars, flutes, congas, shakers, steel drum. And it's it's a nice mix of, like, blues, jazz, reggae, calypso, and probably a whole bunch of other stuff. It's very simple lyrics that are backed up with, like, what seems to at least my uh, my layperson ears to be rather intricate music. And uh, lots of vocal power, and it, despite the song having like a laid-back sound, I really enjoyed this. This was a pleasant surprise for me. There's a lot of dimensions to it. Is there's a lot happening, but at the same time, it was still soft. Like there's a bigness and, and a soulfulness, but it, it still had this bouncy lightness at the same time. It was it incorporated a lot of a lot of different elements, and and I was you know my my feet were tapping along. I, I quite dug this. So yeah, in like in some ways, this is a breath of fresh air. And that it's not white bread, dad, AM rock. And that's always a nice treat because the music is generally that, which, I mean, we know how I feel about that. Anybody that's paid two seconds of attention to the show. And and this was fine. So while that is a breath of fresh air, I mean, I still didn't like it. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate that it's different, but this is just not my kind of music. And uh, my, my frustration continues a little bit in that, uh, well, you know, I don't, is this, who is this? This is, this is a big TV show. Well, you know, bring out the big names. I know what the thousands are thinking. Mm, he's being so nitpicky. Oh, he's just so making this up to hate the music or whatever. It's not true. I'm just telling you how I feel. Who the hell is this? And where's the cool music? Because this, you know, you know, toe tapping. Are we, how deep are we reaching for compliments here when we call the music toe tapping? No offense. And I loved it. I thought it was quite good. And I mean, the big names at this point are the the Paul Simons and the Randy Newmans and those guys. I, I like that they went outside that big time. That may, that actually, like with like you, Matt, just the fact it wasn't something like that, you know, gave it some bonus points. So maybe that's a condemnation yeah. on the show more than a, a pro for Taj Mahal. Yes, uh, which I guess. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well put. What am I trying to say? It's 1977. Were these guys, though, like the Lorns and the, you know, Howard Shores, were they the Johnny Fevers that railed against disco? Yeah, I would you know? imagine in some capacity. Yeah. But I mean, it's such, you know, when you're, you're, you're the not ready for primetime players are being seen at Studio 54. Mm, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Milk it. <laughs> We now go to a real highlight for me. It's the first Schiller reel, and these are uh, short films by Tom Schiller that will appear on the show for quite some time, even after Schiller leaves full-time, I think. Uh, 
a lot of the really memorable films that we think of from Saturday Night Live are actually Schiller reels. He was always interested in filmmaking, but spent a chunk of the first two seasons as a writer and occasional performer. This film is called The Acid Generation, where he catches up with the hippies of the 1960s. Now, it's only been about 10 years since the summer of love, but the uh, people that interviewed who are hippies are all in their 70s and 80s. It just seems like a bunch of old folks who happen to be around the boardwalks of Palm Beach, and they're talking about their time dropping out and (laughs) dropping acid and being free. They're obviously not actors. They seem to be people who are just game to say something like, you know, I'm all about freedom when approached by some kid with a camera. I laughed at every line. I laughed at the concept. I laughed at everything about it. And then thought after the fact that if you made a documentary about people who were part of the acid generation, this would be it because they are all like in their 70s and 80s now. So huge thumbs up on this one. I am delighted that uh, Tom Schiller's reels are now part of what we're going to be seeing week to week for a little while. Yeah, I really enjoyed this too. Just like all these sweet old ladies and old, old dudes just, you know, talking about getting cranked and, and dancing at all these music festivals, which were clearly not that long ago. Uh, it was just super endearing, really charming. Uh, had a lot of laughs at this. Uh, great, great premise, great execution. It's three for three with me. It was uh, pretty cute. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, had it been actors, I mean, the fact that they weren't actors really made the whole thing. Uh, you, you as professionals, this is just kind of silly. It's it's nice to have this little format back, too. I miss Gary Weiss movies. You know, uh, I'm glad you like that, Matt, because I thought there was going to be a, a, a disagreement on that one. Part of me thought I, you know, the bulk of me said Matt's going to love this. But there was that part of me that's like, what am I going to say if he doesn't like it? (laughs) (laughs) Fret not. (laughs) Because it's like, this is one of my favorite things I've seen. Uh, Certainly my favorite thing is season three so far. We now go to a Chiron. This person is a closet celebrity. And then on to Weekend Update. So uh, it's only Dan, Jane, and Bill at the desk. Okay, this starts off terribly when Dan Aykroyd forgets his actual name. What's really messed up about this one is it seems like Well, it's obvious that they're reading off actual pieces of paper in their hand and not like a teleprompter or or, or cue cards, as I think Jane and uh, Chevy did. So their heads are looking down for half of them. Dan is struggling with the papers. This is a real mess. It's still as messy as last week, but messy in different ways. Dan is all over the place. He really does not seem like he wants to be there and frankly doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. So we get the NBC dancing N coming in with a bulletin. Dan's mic falls off at one point. Bill Murray does a really awkward review of uh, of uh, a new show Marie Osmond has coming out. They wish Chevy a happy 37th birthday, which was weird because it was his 34th. Now, if it was a joke, they only made him three years older. Say happy 58th or something, might have got a bigger laugh. But highlights for me is uh, saying that Yasser Arafat and Ringo Starr are the same guy. A little bit about Jimmy Carter hitting a cyclist with a nuke. Um, Jimmy Carter getting a feel of the Bronx and a little bit about violence in real life causing violence on television, which was a paper I tried to write in grade nine English that my teacher thought was the stupidest thing she'd ever heard. But yeah, this new change in format has not lit yet. Uh, Dan and Jane are trying to do some interplay, which 90% of the time falls pretty flat. I just get the vibe. Dan doesn't want to be there. Jane is trying her best, but this thing is not working. And the uh, the chroma key background is just absolutely terrible. Probably great at the time, but drives me nuts all these years later. 
this was a mess. There was one one other joke in there that I that I actually enjoyed where there's like a a picture of a sculpture with a giant arm and a giant leg and a regular sized arm and a regular leg. And they made a joke about this guy going to a personal trainer and how he's suing because they only did the one side of him. I, I thought that was actually funny. And, and Dan delivered it, too, which was surprising that he pulled it off. Because at first I thought he was like trying to set something up, uh, his, his awkwardness. And he even mentioned about how he was going to go after this or what at one point or something. I thought they were like building to some sort of shtick, but it never ended, ended up turning into anything. The looking at the papers was super distracting um, for them and then for us as the audience watching them be distracted and lost in their papers. I, I don't know. I've, I've seen Jane rock the sh- shit out of Weekend Update, so I don't know what's going on here because she also seemed like she had the least amount of time between the three of them. And she's the only one who knows what's going on. Worst installment of Weekend Update so far. The period. Disaster. Jane is terrible, as I mentioned. She's been neutered completely. And as Mark just mentioned, killed it in season two. And I don't like Bill's character. Come on, get out of here. What do you want me to say? The Carter stuff was good, though. I did like Carter throwing nukes and uh, the Bronx one. Those Carter jokes worked with me. But that was that was it. And again, I took notes this episode and it was uh, that's all I got. We now go to silver balls and golden pins. So this is a bit where uh, Bill Murray is a preacher at a, I think, a memorial service or something. And uh, he's talking and Madeline, that alternates with Madeline Kahn singing. And basically they are comparing bowling to life. Kahn, as it turns out, is turns out to be on a chroma key set that looks like a giant bowling trophy with people around her painted gold holding bowling balls. On the first viewing, I, I've watched this one three times. On the first viewing, I hated this. It, I thought it was absolute garbage. Enjoyed it more the second and more the third, but still not loving it. There was just something not there for this one. I like when the show is ambitious, and you know I've said that enough. But at, at the same time, come on, this is a bit much. They need to scale it back. You don't need to. Like, this isn't funny. This feels like they're, they're overcompensating. Bloated is definitely the the word for it, and I, I think they're they're going for you know something as mundane as bowling. Then they're gonna do this big overdone, glorified, pompous thing as a joke, but it just dragged and took forever to get to the bigness. Like I think if they cut this in half, it lands twice as good for what it is. The mm. joke's just too simple and too obvious for them to spend this much time on it. Like. Yeah, Murray was selling super hard as the sort of preacher character and and Khan singing her ass off. But by the time we get we like jump back to Murray for the third or fourth time and then back to Khan and then back to Murray and then back to Khan, it's like we don't need this to take this long. It's like, yes, bowling's not fancy. Yes, we're singing about heaven in this bloated overdone way. You can't make this like a full three and a half, four minute segment, though. It was mm-hmm. it was just too much, too much, too yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. We now go to reverse discrimination and Bill, Jane and Dan are playing university staff, selecting the entry for this year's uh, law program. So Garrett is playing Mr. Jamal, who's a blind man who has been selected. Belushi comes in and plans to sue for reverse discrimination. Belushi tries to make his case based on the fact that he had better grades Garrett says he got a bad grade in art appreciation and then gives a says he, he can recognize brush strokes and did really well in uh, in sculpture, but uh, didn't do well 
in, in the course in general. Murray, Jane, and Dan come together and uh, sort of talk amongst themselves and decide to um, decides to mention that uh, Belushi is also black, which Garrett didn't know. So they then decide to use Garrett's lack of sight against him to get Belushi's character into the uh, into the college. Murray says he's holding up uh, a number, and Garrett has to pick if it's even or odd. When Garrett picks wrong, and everyone giggles. Belushi's character is going to get in, in the in the program. Garrett then says his two brothers are there to take him home, and it's uh, band members Howard Johnson and Burt Jones. They come in, and then Belushi says, it looks like you just got ripped off by Whitey again and takes off. There's a lot going on here, and, and none of it's good. Garrett gave some good lines. There's some funny stuff in there. But what kills this sketch and makes this sketch absolutely terrible and hideous is that it's supposed to be comedy. And comedy might not make you laugh all the time, but the one tenant of comedy is that if there's a bad guy, he or she or they are supposed to get their comeuppance in the end. And a simple change of a couple of lines could have given us that. Instead, they wanted Belushi to give a a bad line or a stupid line I don't know why Belushi's character had to win this. I mean, we can get into in the intricacies of what comedy is, but even if it doesn't make you laugh, comedy is supposed to end with the good guy winning. And in cases where the, you know, the good guy, i.e. like your Larry Davids or your George Costanzas or your Jerry Seinfelds, whatever, don't win, there's a reason for it. This was structured terribly. Taking away the racial politics of the whole thing and people's opinions on affirmative action and stuff, you cannot disagree with the fact that Garrett was the good guy in this sketch. And uh, Belushi was basically the bad guy, along with Bill, Jane, and Dan. This becomes a very uncomfortable sketch because of the ending more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. Maybe in a misguided way, they're they're trying to poke fun at the, the whitey screwing people over and how it's like structurally stacked against some people and how they're like all these pompous arseholes uh, messing with this guy. But yeah, it was just not really well done. And and like you said, the ending just makes it feel kind of like greasy and not fun. Yeah, you guys covered it all well enough. But I do think it was a shame because I, I did think it was pretty funny. Uh, I, th- I thought the performances were really good. And I, I was uh, I had been really enjoying the sketch. I, I was laughing pretty much the whole way than what you said. So uh, we now go to what I think is a Gary Weiss film. It's uh, Autumn in New York. And Madeline Kahn sings the song around New York. Last year, we had one where another Gary Weiss film where people were going around New York singing this song. So this was like a non-entity to me. And uh, I hate saying it because she's really good at it. But we've already seen Madeline Kahn sing tonight, you know, um, so we don't need to see it again and again. This one, like you said, the, the singing was was a little overdone already. She was doing like the awkward bit with the uh, the tuner where she kept interrupting herself to check if, if she was singing in tune and that felt almost like a little ahead of its time with some of the, the awkward comedy that I found really picked up with the, the internet blowing up, but it uh, didn't really work for me. And it was just kind of like, just, just waiting for it to pass. I already mentioned earlier, I didn't, I, you know, when we saw that good one earlier, I said, oh, I kind of miss Gary Weiss films. Uh, I, I take it back. Well, you, and you like the slice of life ones, you know, where he would go yeah. and like, the toilet seat or Irvington or the lady at the con, uh, the joke store. 
you know, that stuff was pretty magic. This is just kind of weird. It's, the last few have been, let's put somebody in a weird, doing something weird in a, in a, in a weird place. Yeah. Send her, send Madeline Kahn to the hot dog stand. We now have a Chiron. This person has been to Oz. We now go to a sketch called Pink Box, and it's actually an advertisement. So Gilda and Lorraine were playing tennis, and Lorraine noticed that Gilda was great out on the course. Gilda says she was great because she was so sure of herself because of her new feminine product called the Pink Box. That's not even called the Pink Box, actually. <laughs> she doesn't know what it does, but it works, and it gives her confidence, and having it solves the problem of being without it. This was short. This was sweet. I really enjoyed this. And uh, quite frankly, there's a lot of products out there that uh, having it just solves the problem of being without it. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought this was great, too. Uh, the perfect amount of time was spent on it. They just they got right into it, nailed it. The performances were bang on and then they were out. Didn't overstay its welcome. And yeah, just just the, the whole vagueness uh, about everything. And they Lorraine just kept getting more confused and Gilda was just powering through and it was great chemistry between the two of them. I thought that was fantastic. They're, they're not using them enough this episode. Uh, seeing them was like, oh, now it felt like, you know, the show again, if you know what I mean. It just felt a little more classic SNL. Not all these short films, not all this singing, good classic Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know what? I actually wrote down feels like season one. Our next bit is called Hercules. Dan plays a voice actor who's brought in to do the English dub of an Italian version of the film Hercules. So we see a clip of Hercules, uh, the movie, and Herc's played by Belushi, and he and Garrett are speaking Italian. Gilda comes in uh, to the to the scene as, as a character, and they have a chat. This is all done in Italian, or fake Italian. Bill plays an audio producer who's hired Dan to do the uh, to do the English dub. Then Dan says he thinks he can handle doing the English dub of the scene. So they rewind and Gilda, Garrett and Belushi do their audio and their movements in reverse. All three of them do it wonderfully. And then they redo the scene with Dan doing the voices. This was good work. This was quick. I was worried it was going to go on longer. Kudos for Gilda, Garrett and Belushi for doing all their stuff backwards so friggin' well, especially Gilda. Holy jumpin's. And then Dan giving some great voices and, and Bill, though a smaller, smaller role as far as what he did, was quite good as something of a smarmy producer here. Uh, I, I enjoyed this short and sweet. I, I really, really was into this one. At first, I wasn't quite sure where they were going with it. And then as soon as they flipped into reverse, I just started laughing hard. And, and the way they pulled that off, it kind of reminded me it's like a like a high concept sort of technical type skit really good improv vibes but also kind of reminded me of that uh the pavlov's dog sketch from last season where they were like ringing the bell and giving jane the cookie and got her drool and there was just like some really good technical execution and yeah the the time on it and then they they jumped to you know dan actually dubbing over all the voices <laughs> while they were going through it again for the second time forward but the third time overall I just thought this was fantastic. I agree. It was uh, it hit all the right marks for me. Uh, everybody was really good in it. There was jokes. I couldn't believe that backwards stuff went so well. You know, that, that I mean, it's almost stole the sketch for me. Once it happened, I was like, holy shit. Not that Dan Aykroyd was a non-entity. He was really funny. It's like they, they, put, they put a lot of focus in some very small segments of this episode. I'm like gaping holes elsewhere. But geez, when it's good, it's good. We now have a Chiron on a woman who gives great applause. Kind of chuckled 
knowingly at that one. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Madeline Kahn interviewing Dame Edna Everidge, who had a one-person show coming. Love Dame Edna, played by uh, Barry Humphreys, an Australian comedian who has a few good characters, like Les Patterson's Stanley Stone, but Dame Edna's the one we all know. Humphreys is an amazing performer, interviewer, and, and probably one of the quickest comic minds you can ever see. However, this was weird. This was not enough time to uh, to really experience Dame Edna. Uh, it is something of an ad for the show. Madeline Kahn looked extremely uncomfortable during this piece. And uh, part of me wondered if somebody was like giving her a countdown off screen that uh, that Edna didn't see. But, I mean, you could have used Dame Edna in a million different ways. This wasn't the way to do it. Madeline Kahn maybe could have used a break. But this was this was not good. Definitely felt like rushed and clunky. And and it felt like we were supposed to know who Dame Edna was already. Although, like, I, I remember seeing Dame Edna when I was a kid on TV. They seemed like it was an intro to a new person that we're supposed to already know. And yeah, Madeline Kahn, I couldn't tell if she was like trying to do a bit by being uncomfortable, if she was genuinely uncomfortable. I was open minded. I don't like Dame Edna's shtick. I don't know. It's just not for me. Uh, so, But I went into this open minded when I said, oh, Dame Edna, it's 1977. Cool. This is, uh, you know, let me pay attention. Uh, my feelings. Yeah, they haven't changed. We now go to Pocket Pal and a little footnote on this one. Shortly after we started doing this uh, this uh, podcast, Matt, a friend of mine who's a big SCTV fan <laughs> sent me a message saying, don't forget, Dave Thomas wrote Pocket Pal. So this was about two years ago. So now I can say that, you know, Dave Thomas from SCTV allegedly wrote the Pocket Pal sketch. In this one, Dan Aykroyd is a businessman and the Pocket Pal is a device you can take with you on planes that can predict midair collisions so you can know before anyone else. What a weird sketch. Dark as hell. I loved it. If it was truly Dave Thomas that wrote it, uh, kudos, big thumbs up on this one. Got a good kick out of this. Me too. Terrific. Weird. <laughs> Just but played straight. Really fantastic. Ackroyd was really funny. And yeah, I, I, I love when it's quick and absurd and clever and it was all of those things. And don't forget Dark, Matt. You like Dark too. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, this was this was all of those things in spades, but like nice and compact and fast. And yeah, after Dan like yells out that they're going to hit another plane, everyone goes into chaos. He he kind of has this like my thing worked and it cuts away. But then when it cuts back, he's also screaming in terror and uh, just <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. And so there you go, Chris. 17 months later, you get your Dave Thomas shout out. <laughs> so I could see Dave Thomas nailing that. So it yeah. tracks. Yeah, our last sketch of the night is called Phone Call. So it's uh, Gilda and Madeline Kahn. They're playing two slightly drunk women hanging out waiting for a man to call back. Gilda talks about meeting the man and talking about the Patty Duke show. Um, there's a lot in this sketch, like they choose to share secrets with each other. Gilda admits, Gilda admits she hates her breasts. Madeline says she thinks she's extremely sexy on occasion. And they discuss things like why women's noses don't run when they cry on TV and movies. You know, to, to go through this sketch bit by bit would just be kind of a, an exercise in futility because this is one where, though we didn't get our belly laughs, the writing was stellar, the performance was stellar, and the chemistry coming off Gilda and 
Madeline Kahn. It's something we mentioned in episode uh, 19 of season one. I mean, you can feel that chemistry. They became friendly in real life. I don't know if they were friends at this point, but I certainly believe they were lifelong friends who knew one another for a thousand years and got that vibe about five seconds into the show. Um, again, I'd assume this is Marilyn Miller. I couldn't find that for sure, but uh, this was really, really strong. Again, no big belly laughs, but a lot of like smiles and twitters and uh, just an appreciation for this sketch. I, I thought it was excellent. I didn't quite love this one as much as you. Uh, there definitely was a lot of chemistry and it felt quite real, but it felt like a segment from a sitcom that I hadn't been keeping track of like it felt just a little weird as a skit in 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 a sketch comedy show there was some heartfelt moments and and some some good writing and some good like weird character development between the two and and how they got along and like when the phone call does come and Gilda starts talking to the guy and the way Madeline like slips out and like is super happy for her it it all felt like something out of a rom-com or out of a, a, an hour-long drama or a sitcom it wasn't like bad it was strong performances it just felt a little weird as a, as a skit especially like at the end of the show wow, this is tough for me because i mean you're both right <laughs> that's what i was thinking as mark was talking i was like god damn it he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i was thinking that when you were saying that because like i was coming into this one like i just i didn't know about it and you're talking about how strong it was i'm like He's not wrong, but I still, ah. <laughs> so I got to go with my gut and how I felt when I watched it and what my impression was. So because you're both right, canceling each other out, uh, as I watched this and as it ended, I really liked it. I thought it was oh. sweet and charming, different, but uh, I don't know if it was Madeline and Gilda. I don't know if it was just the smooth way of the, the, the conversation was written, whatever the hell it was. Uh, because Mark's absolutely right, too. But I don't know. Uh, I know I really liked it, and it felt good. And I'm assuming this is Marilyn Miller. If it's not, it's certainly done in her style. But it's like Lunch Counter and that thing with the van and that thing with Sissy Spacek and Belushi. I mean, these are not what you expect from Saturday Night Live. But most of the time, they work, and they work really well. And I always get the vibe that the cast is putting a little extra work in it because you don't see them looking at cue cards constantly. Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, they really seem to bring their A games because this is as close to acting as some of them get to do. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were super in it together, right? And, and that's why it yeah. feels like a, a scene out of out of something else. Like these characters felt super real. They felt like we 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 should know more about them. Like we we got to see Gilda on the date with the guy or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or we get to see them talk the next day after about how they talked. Like I did want to see more of these people, but at the same mm -hmm. time it was just a little disorienting for me to to like just jump into this little bubble of their lives and then fade away. You know, like there yeah. was some really charming, warm, cute moments, but it it just felt like like. A, a chunk taken out of something else and like i didn't couldn't quite fully find my footing because i didn't get to see all the rest of the story around it yeah it's, it's weird um and and the reaction from the third chairs on these have been split um oddly enough matt you and i are usually feeling the same about the sketch each time like mm -hmm. usually if i if i like it you like it vice versa but uh but the third chairs really come in like i remember ron really really not liking that teacher sketch with uh, Jodie Foster and Dan Aykroyd and just throwing them off, you know, 
it's not what we've come to expect. There are no aliens. There are no impressions. There, it's just it looks like something out of a different anthology. Good, good late in the episode fodder. Good stuff to put at the end. So uh, yeah, that's uh, then we go to the good nights. Just a good friendly good night. Super rushed. Um, there wasn't much there, but again, like a lot of this could be due to the baseball game. So rating the host. Um, to me, Madeline Kahn was fine. She may have been hurt by weak writing. Uh, there was definitely some flubs here and there, but she did well. Still not at all what it was the first time around and uh, certainly not what she can do comedically. But again, like who else is going to do some of the stuff she was able to pull off? Now, and this is the last we're going to see of Madeline Kahn as host until 1995. I thought she was pretty good, too. Uh, you're you're right. She was a victim of weak writing. She seemed game for anything. She, she, she seemed really comfortable when she was out there for the most part. I don't know what was going on with that Dame Edna thing, but maybe that was mm-hmm. anomalous. I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't like Dame Edna. But yeah, I, I there, there was definitely things wrong that didn't appear to be her responsibility. Uh, I was pretty excited for Madeline Kahn, just her being so like in the ether of my childhood with the, the kind of comedy stuff I grew up on. And I know she has chops, so it definitely felt like some misuse of her tonight like not just the writing but some of the choices like forget the name of the the quarterback that we did the episode last year and every single sketch was football related that he was in you know and they just couldn't break away from 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 that which is understandable for a one note not performer like that but it felt like they just really leaned on the singing for madeline Kahn way too hard like between the bad opera sketch the 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 short film and the, the whole bowling song is like, does she need to sing three times in one episode when she's good at the jokes? You know, like, she's very charming. You know, lots of charisma. She, she can make jokes, but they just had her doing all this singing and it felt like too much one note, somewhat, too much of one note from someone who's got a lot more range. And like, even that last sketch that we talked about, how how heartfelt and warm and genuine the acting was like it just shows how much she had to work with on her own part and how little it seemed like they set her up for in the episode so rating the musical guest uh i only have two short bits there i I liked what he gave us i wished we had a second taj mahal performance especially because the comedic material wasn't uh wasn't strong enough in my mind to justify not giving him a second uh second shot at it it's it's one of those times where I really enjoy the performer, and then they only get the one song. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, it's, oh, that was rough. And you now we're going to see them again in 35 minutes. And and if they had maybe dropped one of the other Madeline Kahn singing bits to make room for Taj Mahal to do another bit, maybe I'm not so grumpy about how much singing Madeline Kahn did, too. It feels like she was the second musical guest will also be in the host. Fun to pretend she was a real diva about it. And she was like, I get three. <laughs> But uh, as for Taj Mahal, I mean, it's a big, you know, it's fine. I, I, it's honestly, when I react to it physically, it's a shrug. Yeah, but that's better than most from you. True. But what's the worst? I guess comedic segment of the night. Weekend update was was a tire fire, <laughs> mostly from start to finish. But also that other sketch, while being serviceable up until about the sixty percent mark just ended with such a thud it's a tough one to choose between those two for me but i'll probably go with weekend update because it seemed like i was seeing something behind the curtain with dan's frustration that i shouldn't have seen like that not only felt poorly executed and not well written it was uh 
it was slightly unprofessional. Like it was uncomfortable vibes. There was a lot to hate about this episode. Uh, I hated the bowling trophy. I hated uh, weekend updates. I hated that Gary Weiss uh, film. And, you know, that sometimes there wasn't a lot going on. And there was that, oh, my God, that fucking, I almost forgot about the Bianca Jagger shit. Uh, dreadful. <laughs> but the thing that I disliked the most was certainly that gaudy, boring sketch with all the, the gold, the gold trophy nonsense. Uh, that really, that really turned me off. And that's, it had, that's some stiff competition. For me, it's the reverse discrimination one. Um, I don't think this is me being, you know, spewing leftist drivel. I just think it's some writer got on TV without the basic fundamental understanding of what comedy is. This is definitely someone who still sees Merchant of Venice as hilarious. There's a lot of bad segments here. You're absolutely right, Matt. And uh, there were a lot of things that didn't make me laugh. In um, this one did make me laugh a little bit. Dan's voice, Garrett had a few good lines, but I just can't get past the fact that uh, in the end, the bad guy won. And, and I'm sorry about that, but that's just sort of, uh, I can't like that. And, and there are times when the bad guy should win, but I don't know if this was the right one. So let's go to the best segment of the night, fellas. There are also a lot of contenders for this one, I think. It really was a tale of two episodes. Like, the highs were high and the lows were low. Uh, I've got two stiff contenders again for best. Uh, that that swell uh, ad was just so perfectly done and tight, crisp, short. And I guess actually I have three because that, that quick little uh, pink box thing just felt like such a well-executed skit start to finish uh but for me the uh the dubbing with the the um rewinding and everything there was there was some extra elements going on there it was it was a little longer than those other two segments but it still didn't overstay its welcome because it fit a couple more things in with the dubbing and the, and the rewinding and everything uh that's that's got to be it for me there's just so many layers to it. My uh, favorite sketch of the night was uh, I don't I don't know what the title of it is. And Keith, I don't know if uh, it really comes as a surprise, but it was the final sketch with uh, Gilda and Madeline Kahn. I nice. while I it doesn't get a lot of belly laughs as you noted uh, in your appraisal. I thought the acting was remarkable. I thought the script was remarkable, and rarely does the show like reach out and make me feel something a little different. And mm -hmm. the fact that I'm not looking for different, if you can catch me off guard and have me like something like that, you fucking nailed it. Swill's one I, I always think of. That phone would call sketch at the end was great. Pink box was good. Hercules was good. But my mind keeps going back to that friggin' acid generation movie. And I can't, every bit of it laughed. It's one of these one things that I had to pause and rewind because I was missing lines because I was laughing too much over the last line. It was short. It was sweet. It's it's ridiculous. And and that's what a lot of these hippies look like today. So <laughs> I went with Acid Generation. But, fellas, I cannot fault you guys for your picks because they were 
equally as good. Who was your star of the night? My star of the night was Gilda Radner. Uh, so yeah, it was Gilda for for the women's uh, box sketch, especially, and of course the last sketch, especially, which was my favorite of the evening. Uh, I really thought she brought something unique this evening and rather than just for like you know her wacky characters or mm-hmm. terrible impressions yeah gilda's a a great choice and I, I i think i was i was really on the fence because there's like like we were talking about there's so many really good segments and really bad ones and, and now that you're mentioning it gilda was in less of the bad ones than everyone else <laughs> and she was in almost all of the good ones um, the the pink box sketch the the final bit the the reverse dubbing italian movie bit uh, i think she has to take it i'm with you matt yeah fellas we have a sweep here tonight with gilda um, yeah no kidding like i i lean towards murray for a spell but uh, he did have that stupid thing in the uh in the uh weekend update and uh honestly i think anyone could have done his part in bianca jagger but gilda was excellent in everything she did i mean the only one she did that i didn't particularly love was bad opera and uh, she was such a non-entity in that that it doesn't work against her so i wrote you know several thumbs up for gilda with none down so overall you know it's weird uh this was not a, a great great episode but it wasn't particularly bad what throws me off about this one is that it was bottom heavy usually the good stuff's at the beginning and the shit's towards the end but uh, that was not the case here. And, and I don't know, maybe it was the baseball game. Uh, Madeline Kahn was used to her strengths musically, but uh, tremendous comedy performer. And we didn't get to see as much of that. And like Weekend Update was crap. Taj Mahal was good, but we only got one. And Mark, you also alluded to it. Uh, the highs were high and the lows were low. Like we had a shaky start with sketches like Bianca Jagger the clunky update, reverse discrimination, the bowling thing, and Dame Edna. But then we have really good stuff like Pink Box and Swill and the phone call and, and Acid Generation. So it was really hard for me to uh, to come up with a grade for this. So I just went through and was like, what made did it make me laugh a lot? And it did. And was Con good? Yes. And was the writing weak or good? It was kind of weak at times, but it did pick up. So... This was tricky, but I did wind up going with a seven out of ten. Sometimes it's 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 a hard four. Sometimes it's a shining eight to eight point five. Seven's pretty fair, but I might just go for six point five. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just to just to even it out, seven feels just a hair high for how bad some of the things that usually aren't like how they're making a mess out of weekend update. Like that should be one of the few things that's dialed in, you know, and only having the one musical segment from a musician I actually liked, which is like 50, 50. There's, there's some things that they seem like they really dropped the ball on that should be dialed in. And then when they were getting weird or trying new stuff, maybe it was working, maybe it wasn't, but you have more patience for that when you're screwing up stuff that you've already nailed before. I've got way less patience for that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a 6.5 is what my gut's telling me. It's real middle of the road for me. I mean, I'll never watch it again. So there's that. Uh, I don't have the desire to see other than that last sketch. I wouldn't need to go back and see anything again. I don't think I'll long for it in any capacity. Um, I mean, the host was fine there, misused. The musical guest non-entity for me personally, Weekend Update was terrible. You know, those are two benchmarks of the shows or hallmarks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, They should be better. 
at least I wish they were better. I know you guys like the music more than I did, and that's really subjective. So I'll let that one go. Not enough to keep me going in this one. Too inconsistent, quintessential middle-of-the-road show, which makes it 5 out of 10 for me. So am I 7? Matt's 5. Mark's 6.5. We wind up with a 6.2 average, which uh, is, is pretty good for us, actually. And the folks over at the IMDb gave this one a 6.8. So we're uh, 6.2. We're pretty close. We're only six-tenths of away from uh, what the interweb thinks. Um, this show is considered the 17th best of the year and the 422nd best uh, of all the shows to date. Could you repeat that? I got hung up on the 17. I was like, how many other episodes are there this season? Uh, so 17 out of 20 for, for the year. Yeah. And uh, 422 out of like, you know, 980 or whatever they're at right now. Yeah. I mean, that does sound a little high, but I guess there's probably a bunch of stinkers out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that's just above middle of the road, right? Like, so there's 900 episodes, 450 is the middle. That's just that's above middle. That's a good middle. point. That that's kind of point. lines that lines up with a 6.2. So I guess I guess it's fair. And again, like, I mean, I don't I like to keep harping on this, but when you look at this show outside of the bubble, beyond Swill, there's nothing talked about a lot, which is kind of a shame because some of the other stuff is good. But it's also like Madeline Kahn doesn't have the, 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 the kitsch name that like your Steve Martins have. And Taj Mahal is not a super known performer. We like this a lot more than Steve Martin, Matt. Yeah, that Steve Martin one was garbage. Garbage. Oh. Capital G. I really hated that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure yeah. So season, season three is off to a rough start, eh? Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Mark, thank you. It's great to have you back. You're going to be back again with us for episode five. Uh, looking forward to seeing you again. Oh, always a pleasure. And, and very much so looking forward to getting back in the third chair soon. <laughs> awesome. So, Matt, next week we're back. Do you know who the host is? Uh, oh, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. And the musical guest is Libby Titus. And uh, Chili will be joining us in the third chair. So we'll be back in about a week. But until then, I'll be checking Twitter for nice comments here in SNL.